Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Mayfair Theatre Podcast. I'm Andrew. And this is Josh. It is Thursday, October 20th, 2016, and uh, we have a million movies to talk about this week. Mm-hmm. It's a, an extra-packed schedule because we have a few special events, one-night-only kind of things. Uh, it's funny. The other day, I always try, you know, social media is a funny thing, and even when people aren't meaning to sound combative on it or or Mm -hmm. disrespectful a lot of times a simple request online might sound like you're being yelled at and especially genre fans leading up to halloween this week i got a couple of kind of tweets or facebook's kind of thing about oh you don't have anything halloween in the week leading up to halloween yeah and i said well kind of depending on you know because in this week leading up to halloween we have a bunch of stuff on the weekend, and then on Halloween weekend itself, as mm-hmm. per every year, we have Rocky Horror Picture Show. So it's true that on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there's no scary movie, but I did a little count because I was kind of angry about this accusation, <laughs> and we have like 11 Halloween movies, 10 or 11 Halloween movies, and one short film festival yeah. in this month, and I looked back, kind of the magic of the internet, it's kind of cool, you can go back and look at our month schedules Mm-hmm. And, and I realized instead of clicking back, I could just go to the code and change October 2014, October 2015. And there was one year, it was like 2012 or 2013, we had like four movies, four scary movies. And then like last year, it was like seven or eight. The year before that, something similar. So not only do we have a lot of Halloween movies this year, it might be our record. We have mm-hmm. we have like nearly a dozen events. So anyhow, so on that note, and, and I'm just like... We can't show scary movies seven nights a week. No. Some people wouldn't like that very much. Yeah. And and this this schedule we have this week I really like because it has some romantic movies and kids movies, has some Canadian stuff, and it has some crazy Halloween offerings. So I'm just looking at the schedule in front of us. So maybe just to kind of, so we don't lose track, Andrew and I will just start at the top of our list and kind of move down uh, because I think it's like, there's like nine or ten movies this week. Mm-hmm. Um so we are holding over for a second week, The Light Between Oceans, which I haven't seen. I wanted to see just because I like Michael Fassbender. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it yet either. It's Michael Fassbender, uh, Alicia Vikander, and Rachel Weiss. Yeah, so, so two Oscar winners and mm-hmm. an Oscar nominee. And I think we mentioned last last time, last week, that it's from the director of uh, Blue Valentine. And uh, Place Between the Pines. Yes. Yeah, and it's just... Uh, it's a melodrama. Melodrama yeah. per- period piece, I Peri- think. Yeah, it's set right after World War One. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so we're holding that over for a second week. The other romantic film we have is Two Lovers and a Bear, which is funny because I just heard the actress talking about this, uh, Tatiana Maslany. Uh, she shows up on Comedy Bang Bang every once in a while mm. and is very funny. And she was on that show because I guess they film her TV show in Vancouver but she was down in LA for the Emmys mm-hmm. and she recorded that podcast and then like that night won the Emmy for best actress on a TV show. Right. And I, I admit I haven't seen that TV show yet. I've heard a lot of good things about it, but I always joke that whenever somebody plays like half a dozen things in the same project, give them an award. Like they're, they're memorizing like six yeah. times the amount of dialogue. And so supposedly she's great in that show. So she is one of the stars of Two Lovers and a Bear, a Canadian film that we have uh, coming up this week, starting on Friday the 21st. Um, her her co-star in it is, what's his name? Dane, Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan, 
who sadly a lot of people probably know from Amazing Spider-Man 2. Which oh, was, yeah, he was the villain? Yeah, he was he was the Green Goblin or Green... Go- I, I blanked that movie out already. Mm-hmm. He was either Green Goblin or Green Goblin to be, but he was... He was uh, Harry Osborn in the film. And he was in Chronicle. Chronicle, yeah. yeah. Which is a film I really like, but I also point out of saying, I don't know why that couldn't have just been a regular movie. Uh, yeah, it was it was a found footage kind of deal. Yeah, and I... Although I, they, they pulled that off very well. They, I mean, they did, at yeah. this point, found footage, it's very hacky. But uh, the way they did it in Chronicle, it, it actually kind of worked. Yeah, so I guess that was his big breakthrough film, Chronicle, mm-hmm. Dane DeHaan, and then... Spider-Man would have been a franchise for him, but that didn't work out so well. Um, and uh, who else is in this? Oh, and also um, Gordon Pinsett. Ah, Canadian. doesn't he do, do the voice of the bear? I don't know. Is he? This, well, this is like a, apparently a very offbeat romantic uh, drama. Yeah, does he, I set in the Arctic? Uh, yeah, uh, near the, set in a small town near the no- North Pole, where roads lead to nowhere. The story follows Roman and Lucy, two burning souls who come together to make a leap for life and inner peace. And yeah, apparently Gordon Pinsent does the voice of the bear. I did not know that. I thought I, he would I, just be in it. Yeah, <laughs> and he he's a kind of a living legend, Canadian icon. Yes, the rowdy man. My my uh, wife's an East Coaster, and so she is a, a fan. And she said he's of the age, which is crazy to think about our country. He's of the age. Where he precedes the East Coast being in Canada. Like, he's old enough that when he was a kid, that was a new thing. Yeah. Like, which is bizarre to think. Um, but, yeah, so he's in it. And, and uh, a piece of trivia about this film is, yeah, it was filmed in, in uh, northern Canada in uh, Nunavut. Mm-hmm. But it was also, I don't know how much of it, but it was filmed partially uh, at the Diefenbunker. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I, do, I don't know how, how much of it. I haven't seen the film yet, but I think most of it, one of the big things about the film that's getting a lot of praise, I read the, the TIFF review and a couple of the reviews, is just like beautiful scenery, beautiful northern Canadian scenery. So I think that's all the Nunavut um, portion. Mm-hmm. But some portion of the movie they shot at the Diefenbunker. Uh, so I don't know if that was like a day or two weeks or what. But So it's kind of a, a somewhat locally produced film, which is kind of neat. And uh, I I actually worked on a film that shot in the Diefenbunker, and man, it's a... Was it The Sum of All Fears? No, yeah, I wish. Yeah, it was a much more low-budget... <laughs> Didn't they shoot that in the Diefenbunker? They did, yeah. yeah. And it's a great location, because it's, 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 it's a little scary to think that, that in recent history, there was a time when they're like, oh, we have to have a bunker to hide our important people because a bomb might drop on us. Yeah. and But it's, it's, it's this strange... I think you could just go on tours, like if you're in a school or, or you can just go as a tourist and check this place out. But it's it's like, it's where you were going to go when the rest of the city was being killed. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it has like the big door on the front of it and the, the it everything's still there. So like a, a cafeteria and rooms and what would have been a screening room and what, what would have been the military outlet in the, in the place and so a bizarre location. So I'm not sure how it fits into this story, this two, uh, the two lovers in a bear story. But yeah, so a, a not only Canadian film, but kind of a shot nearby film uh, featuring uh, Tatiana, who just won a bunch of awards for her TV show that mm-hmm. is a kind of a cult uh, cult favorite right now. Maybe more than a cult favorite, a big popular show right now. So it's a couple of romantic films we have. One of our Ottawa premieres this week, amongst three or four Ottawa premieres we have this week, is The Long Way North, 
which is a family-friendly animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was from the director of Secret of the Kells, but it's from one of the animators who worked okay. on Secret of the Kells. And it's a uh, very interesting animation style. Like, I don't even know what you would call it because it's not like it's not 3D in the way you'd imagine like a Pixar film. It looks flat, like a 2D animation, yeah, traditional animation. But I think it's it's like a it's like a a merge of 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 CG and traditional animation with like the flat colors mm-hmm. and the, kind of the 2D characters. And uh, it's like a, a 19th century adventure about a young girl uh, on searching for her grandfather. And it's uh, won a few awards in the animation circles. And it's from, it's, it's, it's France-Denmark co-production. So I'm not sure who gets credit for it, but um, it is going to be shortlisted for, for Best Animated Picture uh, for next year's Oscars. Mm-hmm. Or for, yeah, for Best Animated Feature Film. Uh, and it seems like a family-friendly adventure-type film. It's funny because a lot of kids' animation, a lot of kids' movies might still have stuff that scares kids. <laughs> so I have friends with kids who some uh, some of them are sissies still. So it's you know they they can't come see something like a um, you know like a, a Frankenweenie even or something like that because it's just scary enough. Or especially like an '80s kids movie is way out of their league still. But this looks like a nice family film that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, this weekend on the uh, 22nd and the 23rd for family matinees. Uh, the next film we have another Ottawa premiere, a uh, very different film, another Canadian film called Mean Dreams. And it's a, I believe it's a Romeo and Juliet kind of romantic teen romance. Well, it's, it's being compared to uh, Terrence Malick's Badlands. That's, that's what I to... thought. Two lovers on the run. Yeah, and uh, just, yeah, just from the poster, it kind of looks Badlands. Set in the country, yeah, it does have a Badlands uh, feel to it. Yeah, I'm not sure where it's shot in Canada, but yeah, it, it has that uh, that long horizon mm-hmm. wheat field kind of look to I it. I guess the prairies. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, so yeah, it has two two young actors in it, and then the I believe the 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 opposing fathers in it are I might be wrong about this but it's Bill Paxton and Colm Fiore yeah so Colm Fiore who's a I don't know a, a, quite the Canadian icon yeah uh, he's he I really like him a lot because he he does Canadian film and television and stage but then you'll also see him pop up in like a Chronicles of Riddick movie like he, yeah so or or a John Woo movie he was in Face Off oh yeah yeah. I think he was in Paycheck. He's done like a couple of John Woo movies, I think. He's kind of like a, a, a working actor when it comes to doing the big Hollywood films. Yeah, and I think he's played Glenn Gould and Trudeau. Yeah, yeah. and I know some people have seen him on stage at uh, Stratford. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went to Canterbury, the kids would, the drama kids would get to go every year to go to Stratford. And I can't remember what, but I, I think some of my friends got to go see him live perform. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool that someone like that who probably could just leave it all behind and go live in L.A. and make a good living there. Still kind of keeps his Canadian roots. And uh, Mean Dreams, a friend of mine actually worked on it and said uh, to let him know how it turns out because uh, he said it was a, a good a good shoot. And he got to work with 
he's on the camera crew, but he got to work with Bill Paxton. And, mm-hmm. and, and I always, I always love hearing this, but he confirms that Bill Paxton is as awesome as you hope he would be. Oh, good. Because <laughs> you hate to hear stories of like, oh, Bill yeah. Paxton's a monster. He threw yeah. coffee in my face, you know, but he's like, no, Bill Paxton is super nice guy. We'll totally talk to you about aliens, you know, is, is, uh, uh, so that's good to hear. So, uh, and it, and it's funny, the Canadian, the model for a Canadian film is often that where, you know, Bill Paxton is not Tom Cruise or Russell Crowe, mm-hmm. but the Canadian film also often seems to get in a recognizable name. Yeah. And, and especially the last few years, like he did a pretty popular TV show and, feature film he's not a lead but he he's in the ensemble of quite a few yeah. big films so they'll get a name like that to stick on the poster and to get in the the ad campaign yeah because it will draw some interest people who know him from from the tv show or from aliens or from true lies or from titanic or something like that but uh, yeah so that's 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 two canadian films in a row that we have uh, coming up this week um then to get into our example of our Halloween programming, the it's funny because it's it's I, I'm curious if it's an Ottawa premiere. We have to go back and research this, but probably not. I mean, it, it, it I imagine well, well probably played in drive-ins back in 1970. Yeah, I we, imagine we have a film called "I Drink Your Blood" from 1970, and it's a the, what is the premiere with the asterisk is this is the director's cut and it's uh, fully uh, restored picture and sound yeah and it's quite the difference because the i look on i according to imdb if they're correct in this the original cut was only 71 minutes mm-hmm. and this one that we're screening is 83 minutes so still short but 12 minutes longer than what people saw in 1970 so i'm curious if that's going to be complete gore fest or you know a movie like well I we've been showing blood. the trailer a lot and the yeah. trailer's pretty gory I love the trailer because the trailer looks like the movie trailers have changed so much, especially maybe in the past 20 years, Mm -hmm. because starting it was, I think Miramax gets a lot of credit. I've heard Kevin Smith talking about it a bit where it's like the trailer for Clerks, the trailer for Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs, they, they started using like film editors on it. They started using people with a skill for storytelling. They started using music a certain way. You see a trailer from 1970, and it's just kind of like a piecemeal of clips, often giving away way too much of the story with that cliche voiceover guy who they never use anymore. Like, you never hear that in a world. Like Yeah, no. That guy's gone. That's become a joke now. (laughs) Yeah, and I can't can't think of the last time I saw a trailer with with that guy in it. Because if you think of, like, the, the, the big trailers, you think of, of Star Wars, Avengers, Mad Max, those kind of like Hollywood summer blockbuster type films, none of those had that in a world guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in if you if you watch the trailer for I Drink Your Blood, which I think even though it's it's um, very unrated, I think is on our website. You can go watch yeah. it. It's it just don't it, eat anything before watching. Yeah, it. It, it's just showing off a lot of the gore, telling you exactly what the story is, and saying. I drink your blood over and over again. Like in the three minute trailer, he probably says, I drink your blood 20 times. It's, so it's, it's these hippies, uh, who are like bullying this town. Like what's the story? It's so weirdly complicated and, and anti hippie, I guess they're satanic hippies, satanic hippies, 
Which and, all hippies are. Um, this kid, who I guess was bullied by them, takes a bunch of meat pies and injects them with rabies. <laughs> Kids always Because do I that. think his father's a veter- veterinarian, so he injects these meat pies with rabies. They eat the meat pies and become yeah. rabid zombies. Yeah. And they take over the town. It's a true story. It's a documentary. But yeah, but th- there's that era of films, that early 70s, like, re- like I think X-rated at the time, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Like, drive-in movies. They were really short. Like, you could fit, like... The double bill would only be like two 75-minute films. Yeah. Uh, so it was a, a, a shorter shorter double bill for the staff of the drive-in and a shorter commitment for you to watch because, you know, if it's two 75-minute movies, you, you slap those together. That's kind of the length of a movie nowadays, especially nowadays with movies all going on so long. And But the trailer really looks like they just kind of digitized the like a 16 millimeter trailer warts and all. So like all the scratches are on. Yeah. But that kind of, that kind of adds to it. That kind of, it's like, it's funny when, um, you know, a movie like Grindhouse, which is filmed on digital cameras, where it's impossible to have some of those flaws. Then they go in and add those flaws because yeah. it's, it's of its time. So, I mean, th- this movie, I drink your blood is very much that, that Grindhouse era, that, that drive-in era of you know teenagers going to see a gross out movie not paying attention to it going to going to the candy bar the plot doesn't really matter but it's it's you compare it to a horror film of nowadays and it's just like i don't know even something like eli roth is kind of doing that kind of thing. yeah that's what he's yeah he's trying to sort of um ape that style for sure yeah like eli roth is it's these movies it's their fault that Eli Roth is doing what he's doing now with with uh, uh, his kind of gross out films because it's not even com- uh, comparable to something like like the Saw franchise because even that has a bit more of like even though it's just um, you know torture porn as they call it has kind of a plot to it kind of a semblance to it mm-hmm. but but uh, but yeah they're a lot of fun and if you if you if you want if you're a horror fan and you want to see something that you're very rarely going to get to see on the big screen. Uh, you know, th- this is your gold star pick for this Halloween season uh, of coming to see it, coming to see this 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 gross out, weird anti hippie, anti hippie, <laughs> and th- like this isn't the only one because it wasn't like like Ten Thousand Maniacs was kind of the same thing like that kind of like, two thousand or two thousand man- no Maniacs. that no that was um no that wasn't involving hippies that wasn't hippies no. <laughs> um so yeah so that that's your anti hippie. Uh, horror <laughs> for this week for this week uh and then um a more family friendly horror film we have this week not quite a horror film but i just kind of i lump it in together with the the halloween genre is our our kids fest um screening for this month is monster house and i don't know how often we'll, we'll, we will be able to do a halloween themed uh kids kids club movie because there's just not that many. We, mm-hmm. we, Lee was like, oh, did you want to make Ghostbusters the, the Kids Club movie this month? And I was like, well, I, I just kind of want to keep it to like kids-friendly movies. And Ghostbusters, although a lot of kids come to see it and enjoy it, there's still a lot of swearing in it mm-hmm. and a lot of kind of like innuendo in it. But a truly like kids movie that we could show for Halloween, you know, we we, we can't screen Frankenweenie because it's Disney. We can't screen Nightmare Before Christmas because mm-hmm. it's Disney um so 
next year we'll see what we'll do. But for this year, Monster House, it's um, it's of note because it's the reunion of Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. who worked together on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And for the slightly more grown-up crowd, it's uh, Rob Schraub and Dan Harmon, who worked on Community together, mm-hmm. the very, very popular cult show Community, wrote this screenplay. It was one of their first gigs in Hollywood. Uh, so if you're a fan of Community, you might want to come check it out if you've never seen this film before because it has a similar kind of characters and, and uh, humor to it. And I think I mentioned this before. It's of a genre or a subgenre of animation that I'm not a fan of, the Robert Zemeckis uh, motion capture. But I give this one a pass because it's not photorealistic. It, it's, if you look at his stuff like the um, uh, Polar Express... And it often gets criticism because of kind of the, the we're especially 10 years ago and now, we're still not quite good enough at the animation to get that like photorealistic, mm-hmm. that doesn't look kind of creepy, dead-eyed Tom Hanks. <laughs> and in Monster House, though, it looks like a cartoon. Like it, like like the kids' heads and arms and the characters, they look cartoony. So it, it doesn't feel like you're watching some weird photorealistic animated nightmare that that Beowulf or A Christmas Carol were the Mm -hmm. Robert Zemeckis films this looks like a cartoon Uh, and it's a lot of fun it's the 10th anniversary which makes me feel old and uh, Kids Club is if you're a Kids Club member you can buy a um, kids 12 and under can get a monthly card for or sorry an annual membership for 10 bucks we'll have one retro screening a month in the past few months it's been stuff like um, Land Before Time Pee-wee's Big Adventure and uh, Iron Giant and kids get in for free and then normal adult humans can get in as well sometimes they get that weird question oh can I come too I'm like yeah you can come you just gotta buy a normal ticket and so that's that's playing this uh, Sunday afternoon um, Sunday October 20 what is that 3rd yeah 23rd so that's our that's our if, you, if your kids are brave it's a PG rated kind of fun scary movie I found it very akin to kind of the 80s stuff. It feels like a Monster Squad or a Goonies. Mm. Uh, so I know quite a few grown-ups who want to come see that because they enjoyed that movie 10 years ago when they were kids or teens. And uh, yeah, so that'll be our offering for this month for the Kids Club. And stay tuned for our what we have next month. We're still trying to figure that out. Um, we also have... No, we didn't talk about Tower. Oh, did we miss Tower? Yeah. Oh, we did. That's oh, another Ottawa premiere uh, that starts Friday, this Friday at 9 o'clock. It's just two shows, mm-hmm. uh, Friday the 21st at 9 o'clock and Tuesday the 25th at 9 o'clock. Uh, this is an excellent movie. I've, I've seen heard, it. Oh, you've seen it? I, yeah. I've heard nothing but good things about it. It's uh, Yeah, it's, it's all about the Texas Tower shooting um, at the University of Texas in 1966. Yeah. And it's... Um, rotoscope animation right uh, a dramatic recreation of the of the events um on that day um intercut with um news footage and um the real life survivors uh okay. giving recollections of it uh, see i was confused by that so you can answer this for me um because in their in their press release that i kind of cut and pasted over for for facebook or whatever mm-hmm they call themselves a documentary, but then the trailer I saw seemed to have like actors. It's doc. It's a documentary with uh, with a dramatic reenactment okay. that's animated, right? And uh, yeah, the way they uh, the way it's all layered, um, 
is really uh it's really quite fascinating like it's um it's got kind of an oliver stone feel to it just sort of the frenetic filmmaking and yeah. uh yeah it's kind of hard to explain so you just it, have it, to look it at blends the trailer. together the the actual footage with the recreation but because it's animated it kind of bleeds together a bit better yeah yeah absolutely yeah it's it's sort of a, a mixture of um of real and uh and um animation well that's a big trend with documentaries nowadays too i i just read the title of it we screened one a couple years ago the plot was um was it the imposter something like that uh, a kid goes missing mm-hmm. and, yeah. and then somebody else who is not the kid comes back to the family and it's been like i forget what it is like the difference between like 10 and 15 so they're like oh he looks different because he's older and it's this bizarre story of how this guy made his way into their lives and then it's like this mystery of like did the family kill the kid or what's going on mm-hmm. and in that documentary there was like a ton of real footage and docu- and interviews but then they did dramatic recreations with actors and very like cinematic with lighting and everything yeah of and that's kind of controversial cuz there were some people who say a documentary should be just the facts news footage interview but the modern documentary just it's such they're more watchable, such a more cinematic feel. Yeah. A score. They're uh, not limited to just the, the narration and the talking heads that you're used to seeing. Yeah, because you, if you think back to watching a, a documentary in history class in, in junior high, a lot of it was just a, a, a talking head and, yeah. like, you know, intercut with some, you know, a painting of a, a war or something. And it was just dull, just hard to watch. But, yeah, modern documentaries, they, they figured out, the twist, whether it be Michael Moore style or dramatic recreation style or animation of just making them very watchable, very, you know, uh, standing shoulder to shoulder with a work of fiction in entertainment value. Um, yeah, so I'm, yeah, really looking forward to seeing that. But Tower, yeah, it's definitely probably one of the best documentaries you'll see this year. And it's, uh, it's like a good true crime story and, um, it's really moving too. It's all about the service. It's mostly about the survivors and not Charles Whitman who, Right, committed the murders. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. more about the survivors and how they kind of rose to the occasion and saved each other. And yeah, it's um great drama, great documentary. Yeah, um, it's also like a really good thriller. It's like a good suspense. There's lots of suspense in it. That's the best thing I find about some movies as such. Where even if you're familiar with it, it's very mm-hmm. like kudos to the filmmakers when they can still make it thrilling and stressful. When yeah, you, when you know oh, yeah. what's coming next. Um. So yeah, so unfortunately we only have that for two nights, so be sure to come and check it out if you can. Uh, As we record this, maybe it could be held over for a second week, but we don't know. So uh, catch it while you can, while we have it here at the Mayfair for its uh, premiere screening and an encore screening at this point right now. Mm -hmm. Check check out the six. So just to go, to wrap things up now, we will chat about our annual Halloween double bill and the chaos that has happened in the last 24 hours with it. So... Basically, the long and short of it is sometimes a distributor changes their minds. And even though we'll have something booked, I'm very curious what the reason was with this. Because it could be anything. It could be like they made a deal with a TV company. or It's, it's, it's a weird rationale of mm-hmm. we said you could have this film. It's on digital, so it's not like we're out of film prints. Uh, you can't have it now. So we found out yesterday, after we had printed up all the stuff and done all the publicity, that we can't play The Shining uh, this year. 
and the quote was out of service, which makes it sound like it's a broken car. Like, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> or a vending machine. Yeah, the, the, the movie is out of service. Uh, so Silver Lining, I guess the same distributor has the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So we're losing The Shining for our annual Exorcist Shining Double Bill and gaining Exorcist Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, there's been very little backlash, which makes me very happy and thankful to our well, lovely... Well, Texas Chainsaw, I mean, yeah. as, as far as a replacement goes, that you know, that's pretty yeah. damn good. Texas Chainsaw is one of the best horror films ever made, so... Yeah, and, and I, I, it's, you know, we, we now it's, it's a double bill of, if not two of the best horror films mm-hmm. of the 70s, oh, yeah. arguably... Uh, two of the best horror films of all time and what many people consider the two best horror films of the 70s. And if you have never experienced Texas Chainsaw Massacre on the big screen, if you've never seen it, this is the way to go. Come see mm-hmm. it on the big screen with the crowd. It, it's, especially for its time, it's one of those movies that, it's so funny to think that only 40 years ago, the movie-going audience was much more naive but then you remember that, whatever, 15 years ago, people were tricked by the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. But Texas Chainsaw, because it's a low-budget film, because there's no stars in it, the actors look very real. Yeah, it's got kind of a documentary feel to it, actually. Yeah, very and it, rough and... It's just, yeah, just real and terrifying. And you, and you watch some of it, and especially at the time, it was just, it looks like a snuff film, practically. <laughs> and it's weirdly, you know, doesn't follow the three-act structure, really. Uh, not to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen it, so I won't say exactly, but the ending doesn't end the way a horror movie often does. And, yeah, it's, it's just really... It's great filmmaking, and when when you hear the behind the scenes, it's nuts that somebody wasn't killed. Because yeah. it was basically a bunch of, like, kid filmmakers running... Not kid, like, filmmakers in their 20s yeah. running around with chainsaws, and, yeah. and, and nobody was murdered. Um and then it, it, it garnered a franchise that kind of continues on to this day. I, I always forget this, but in like 2013 or 14, there was something called Texas Chainsaw 3D that really came and went that I think was the the second reimagining of the first yeah. film. So the film itself has, has what, like three sequels, I guess? And then there's like the Michael Bay reboot, uh, yeah. and then there's th- this other reboot. So there's, yeah, there's like 12 reboots or there's something. There's a lot, I, yeah. Hard to I keep track track. But uh, yeah, it it is a it is a genuine horror film. You can't classify it as anything else, really. And to pair it with The Exorcist, which is more of a um, like a, a cinematic Hollywood horror film, uh, just as many scares, just as frightening, but has recognizable actors, has you know a camera crew, has yeah. has a a, a a a production budget behind it. And The Exorcist was a rarity that hasn't really gone away in 40 years where it was a horror film that won, won Oscars and, and was a crazy blockbuster. Yeah. Uh, Texas Chainsaw was also a crazy blockbuster. And depending on what reports you read, they're like, yeah, it cost us the equivalent of a hundred thousand dollars and made like $50 million. Yeah, it was a huge hit. And $50 million in 1974 is, I don't know what today <coughs> But, uh, yeah, so we're sorry for Shining fans if that upsets you that we lost The Shining. But it is a, a pretty spectacular Halloween double bill nonetheless. And we will, like, we don't know. We Like, hopefully this isn't a vault situation, but maybe we'll have Shining back uh, next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but uh, yeah, we'll see. So, but nonetheless, uh, what's that? Monday, October twenty fourth. A really great uh, double bill and a rare double bill. People often ask about double bills, or some movie will come out and be like, "Oh, this would be a good double bill." And just, I think we just mentioned it a couple weeks ago when uh, when Lee was on the podcast with us. That it's just, it's really hard to do a double bill because mm. they have to be from the same studio. Yeah, and for the most, and and this Halloween double bill is the rarity where. Hopefully it's like last year and like 300 people show up and they stay for the double bill. Yeah. Whereas often, even at Christmas time, I remember a couple years ago, we had a couple couple hundred people for Die Hard and then it went down to like 30 people for Die Hard 2. Yeah. So it's a just... A lot of people just, they want to do one movie and go yeah. home. They don't, or dinner and a movie, yeah. go home. They don't want to sit through two movies, unfortunately. Yeah. On, on Twitter, a couple of days ago, it popped up that somebody remembered the Star Trek I don't know what's the word for time six time six bill where this was when I was in high school they, yeah. they did um, Star Trek the motion picture through Star Trek undiscovered country so six films all of them I guess two hours ish and it, that was the day so yeah. like and I remember my friends and I came to that I, I can't remember what the, the 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 ticket cost for that day and I guess they're just hedging you know people buying a lot of popcorn and stuff but I can't imagine us doing that today of, of setting aside a day to watch six six or yeah. seven Star Trek films. We we manage a couple times a year to do something like Back to the Future or Indiana Jones, but even that is not a uh, a cash cow that we would love it to be. Uh, it does okay, but it's kind of hard to justify giving up that time slot to something else that might garner 50 people coming to see it or more. So, But yeah, so if you want a, a good old-fashioned Halloween double bill, do come and check out uh, the original Exorcist and the original... Texas Chainsaw Massacre from the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, man, I think that did it. So we didn't even get to, like, small talk, and that was just half an hour of us <laughs> telling everyone, come to see the movies Lots here. Lots to see. Uh, I will just quickly mention um, a local endeavor, Monster Pool Chapter 2. Mm-hmm. It's a collection of short films from all local filmmakers. Uh, and if you want to do your own double bill, you have to buy two tickets to it, but you can watch that followed by uh, I Drink Your Blood on Sunday night which is kind of a fun thing. Uh, I think I'm getting this right. I, 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 it's, it's more of a collection like uh, VHS or Creepshow. So I think they've taken a bunch of short films mm-hmm. and assemble them together. Um, I'm not sure if it has like, um, what do you call it? Like a book in the way VHS does. Mm-hmm. But as far as I understand it, it's a, it's a feature film collection of a bunch of short stories. Right. And it's their second annual. It's great. It's, it's a, I, I did a short film festival for a few years that I stopped doing a couple of years ago just because it's, it's so much work. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so much work just wrangling filmmakers. So I'm, I'm very glad to see something like this pop up around Halloween because uh, it's, it's, it's fun to get eight or ten local filmmakers up on screen they love coming to see it. All the families come. It's 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 always a kind of a fun afternoon when when local filmmakers uh, make use of the Mayfair. So, so come out and support local and check out Monster Pool on um, Sunday the twenty fourth. Is that right? Yeah, no, twenty third. Sorry, Sunday the twenty third. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully they'll be back next year with Monster Pool Chapter Three. So yeah, I think that about wraps us up for this week. Um, we'll be back next week to what'll be next week? No, oh wait. Wait a minute. Yeah, next week we'll be t- next week our schedule will be filled up with a lot of Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's right. It's and, the big uh, Halloween extravaganza. And if you're listening to this uh, near our recording date, tickets are available. They're starting to sell pretty fast. I always love when people come in and buy like 
10 tickets to Rocky Horror and mm. fork over $150. So, yeah. uh, but if you want to come check it out, get them in advance just in case. Our box office opens uh, half an hour before the first screening of the day. And we're usually around, even if you come during a movie, come check out the candy bar or we'll be around to sell you a ticket then mm-hmm. as well. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And, uh, oh, I guess we should mention our sponsors. House of Targ. House of Targ. Our friends at House of Targ, the, I, I played their new um, Dirty Harry pinball machine, and it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I was sad to see the Doctor Who pinball machine is gone. It, it's, it's died. Hopefully oh. it'll be back. Um, and then uh, audible.ca. Audibletrial.com slash Mayfair Theater Podcast. Keep on saying .ca. Where you can go and check out a book, use our code, so we get uh, credit for it. And you can get a free audio book. Um, I bet you you can go and listen to uh, The Exorcist. I bet you somebody's done yeah. a good recording of The Exorcist on there. Or The Shining. Or The Shining. Which we're not showing. Which we're not but... showing. <laughs> you, can still li- you can listen to it, then come see the double bill of Not The Shining. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. And uh, we'll catch you at the movies. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. A world of darkness. Nobody expected it. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. The one hope. The only hope. The Exorcist. Warner Brothers presents... William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist. The Exorcist, directed by William Friedkin. The Exorcist, rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent.